You're listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope this message encourages you to be all God created you to be so that you can impact the world around you with the love and power of God. For more information about us, you can visit our website at revivetheworld.us or visit us in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to connect with you soon. I want to share just really briefly, this is just an overview, this is actually just a reminder for some of you that are are here right now, haven't heard this, and for some of you that have, you were actually present when this prophetic word was spoken, and I'm not going to give you the full context of it, but I will tell you that David Wagner spoke it over over us, over Lindsay and I, in, in May of 2018, and when one person gets a word, especially in this setting of, of leaders or, or pastors of a ministry, then the whole body gets a word, right? It's for, it's for all of us. It's, <clears throat> I'm not giving you more responsibility than I'm taking of seeing the word come to fruition because there's a responsibility in, in taking care of a prophetic word and what it is to walk that out. But this is one of those words where... All you need to do is just keep pursuing Jesus, and it's going to happen. There are other prophetic words that aren't like that, and I'm not going to talk about prophecy today, but some of you, some of you are very familiar with what it is to, to take care of your own prophetic word in, in, because it, it hinges on things, right? They're, they're not all just going to happen if I just do whatever in life. <clears throat> but fortunately, this is one of those words that will be easy because all we need to do is like Owen said, eyes, eyes forward, well, all eyes on Jesus, as Heidi Baker says, all hands on deck. So he, he told, and the reason I'm telling you this is because some people, when they come into a church building, this is what, I don't put a lot of, of weight in church statistics. I don't put a lot of weight into statistics at all because I found out that about 100% of them are inaccurate But with that said, they say that about when a church building is 75% full, that you need to either go to another service or you need a bigger room. Or you need to raise the ceiling so that it appears to be bigger. <laughs> because it gives the illusion that the, build, the building's bigger, right? <laughs> we could probably paint it black. I don't know. We, anyway. I'm giving you this word to let you know that we are anticipating God to do something soon. So know there's there's space for you. If it feels like there's not space for you, that's not true. And the chairs that we promised you, they'll be here shortly too, which will help. There'll be less of them, but you'll need, we'll need less of them. They'll be bigger. Right now, those are, those have been amazing chairs, but I thank God for them. So this is part of the word. David said, normally I see pastors building the church, then God bringing them into something new, but I saw the Lord bringing you into something new, then bringing something new for the church. I felt even sitting in your home that the Lord is about to give you buildings and lands, plural. That's the part of the word that I'd forgotten. I'd forgot about the buildings and lands. My mind was taken back to it yesterday as I was reading. Okay, so buildings and lands. (laughs) He's about to give you a bigger house, a house with a view. 
I kept hearing the Lord say, a room with a view. I'm not going to get into what that is, but I know what it is. And a room with a view, uh, I feel like the Lord is saying, your house is coming first and there's coming a bigger church for the church or a bigger building for the church. And I asked the Lord why he was doing it this way. And this is what he said. I'm changing the way people think. <laughs> We're doing a renewed believers class. I don't think any of that's coincidental. I'm changing the way people think. And I just really believe in the next 365 days, God is going to release divine design for you. And the dreams are going to be simultaneous. The dream for the house that you want and the dream that God wants for his house. I feel like they're going hand in hand one after another. It's a sign of favor. Here's why it's important. Because God has set you as the head of this place. And as it goes for you, it will go for the rest of the body. This isn't about a house. It's about sonship and it's about favor. I tell you that because I want you to be praying into this and be paying attention. If you see something and something comes on your radar for a, a new building, uh, don't be afraid to, to bring it to me. Don't be upset if we don't go with it. Both things. Don't be afraid to bring it to me. Don't be upset if we don't go with it. We, we, we very simply do this in our leadership. We pray and we obey. I can handle that, right? God, make it simple for me. He said, just pray and obey. You listen, I'll tell you what to do, or give you advice, or lead you in the right direction, or however it looks in that situation, that's what we'll do. And so there's, there's uh, God's changing. I also want to emphasize the point that God's changing the way people think. And, and I feel like, though I, I told you that we are essentially babysitting that word by just continuing to pursue Jesus. We're holding the word before the Lord and continuing to go after everything that, that he paid for. All right? It doesn't mean we got it all right. It doesn't mean we got it all figured out. It just means that I'm going to stay low and, and stay in love because it's real easy to be in love with the one who's in love with me when I know how much he loves me and allow him to, to love me in every moment of every day. It's real easy to stay in love. So it, it, all that said, I believe that there's really an emphasis on what he's doing, that it's not about buildings or tools, right? Buildings are, are just instruments. They're, they're, they're not the church, for one. The church is the ecclesia, the called out body. We are the church. People make up the body, not buildings. It's one of the reasons there's not church in the name of our ministry. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just something God led us to do, Right? And so I feel like he's, say, he's saying something that there's actually a revival of mind renewal that's happening in the earth right now. A revival of mind renewal. And the reason I believe that he's doing a revival of mind renewal is because everything that Jesus paid for at the cross, everything that he instituted to the, the early church in the book of Acts was never supposed to stop increasing. Right, and so there, there have been the you know the baton has been dropped dropped from time to time, but now it's been picked back up and generations ahead, and we're going further, faster than we ever thought we could, along with the rest of the body of Christ throughout the earth. And for this thing to never stop increasing until Jesus comes back, it takes mind renewal. Two and three year great church services that we call revivals in a building were ne were not God's. We're not God's will for them to stop. I believe they were God's will, but they weren't God's will for them to stop. They also weren't, but the, I also believe that they weren't God's will for them not to touch cities and just touch Christians. 
I love encountering the Lord, right? But there's a reason why we encounter Him, because then we become an encounter. I know how much He loves me to reciprocate the love to the person that's in front of me. He's changing the way that we think and the way that we see things in the body of Christ. And I'm grateful to be a part of it because I've seen things differently over the last six months to year than I ever have before. And I look back and I'm celebrating that. And so wherever you're at today, I want you to be able to celebrate. Celebrate the progress that's happening in your life. Celebrate the progress that's, that you've made over the, last, over the last month. There's been some growth in your life. I'd almost guarantee that you've grown somewhere, somewhere in your life. And so this is where I want to I start out. I wanted to start out somewhere different, and really, honestly, after the songs that the worship team sang, I just really want to preach the songs that they sang, but, but I'll just start with one of them. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith hall of fame, right? That's what we call it. It's the faith hall of fame. It's those that were, were faithful uh, in, in the Bible, in, in the Old Testament, and we see them, and some of the people that wrote the New Testament, we could definitely put them in there. And some of the people that you've heard about, revivalists over God's generals over the years uh, since the Bible's been uh, complete in the full canon of Scripture, we could probably put them in the Faith Hall of Fame, at least in our minds, they're there, right? And so it's just a beautiful reminder of, of what people have went through. It's supposed to encourage us in, in our uh, walk today, and they're supposed to be an example to us. Uh, but when I think about Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11, I know that some of us hear God through numbers. You see, you see numbers sometimes, and, and you, you think th- you know, you, God's saying something to you. To me, it's always a scripture. Um, 11 used to mean transition to me every time I saw it, and then I was around a pastor about five years ago, and I told him, I said, I just keep seeing, this guy had been pastoring for 30 years, and I said, I just keep seeing the number 11 everywhere I go. I feel like God's got us in transition. And he said, let me let you in on something. As long as you're in ministry, you'll always be in transition. And so I just let that slide away and then ask God for something different and <laughs> the number 11 because I realized that life is just full of transition. There are some seasons that involve different kinds of transition, but it's all one great big transitioning into more of what he has for us in every season, and it's beautiful. So Hebrews 11 is, um, is near and dear to my heart because I, all the times that God has spoken to me out of this specific scripture, and this is about Sarah, and the reason that uh, my mind, I felt it just triggered, this is where Jesus wanted to start, and it was as the worship team was singing the first song, and it's that line that says, you rewrote my, you've rewritten my history. You rewrote my history, right? And this is, I don't know if this is where they got that at, but this is where my mind goes to every time. I know Jesus rewrote our history, but this is a great example. And so Hebrews 11.11 says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Father, we thank you so much for what you're already doing in this room and online. We thank you for every, every person that's engaged in this moment with the process of, of mind renewal and how you're taking us deeper, how you're helping us discover everything that you've already given us in Jesus. And so we pray right now that you would, 
You do whatever you want in our thinking. You'd highlight that one specific thing, that one revelation as we share these next few moments together that we, that we need that will cause us to see you and, and see, dif- see differently, see the world around us differently, that would actually change our worldview to see the world like you do. In Jesus' name. Thanks, God. So Sarah here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, do you guys remember when Sarah was told that, when, when God was talking to Abraham and uh, he tells Abraham that, or Abram at that time, that you're going to have a baby and he's like super old, you know, super old for, uh, actually for as long as he lived, he wasn't that, he was pretty old, but he lived a lot longer, um, but he was past the years of being able to have kids. And, and Sarah, what'd she do? She laughs, not the kind of joy that we get, you know, when you're like, the joy of the Lord is in the presence, we're like, ha, ha, ha. No, she was like mocking God and laughing hysterically at the promise of God and in, in basically in disrespect, in disbelief of what God said. So you tell me how she makes it into the Faith Hall of Fame with this written. Let's, let's read it again. By faith, Sarah herself, by faith. Faith is belief, right? F- faith is not only belief, but faith is an action word. Faith is, is my belief in action. Her laughter was in opposition to the action, right? She's laughing at God. In, in disbelief. I don't, I don't know if you've ever laughed at God in disbelief, but I know that I've, um, I've had lots of disbelief in my life. I don't know if I ever had the guts to laugh at him, um, but I probably wanted to. And it says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a, ch- a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful. Sarah was anything but faithful when the promise was spoken to her. She was only faithful in the fact that God finally convinced her and that she essentially was talked into, right? But from God's perspective, because we know he's the author of the Bible, right? All scripture is written by him. It's infallible truth. And so he he made sure that the author of Hebrews that were, were unsure who, who that is. He was sure that the author, he wrote through them that Sarah was actually faithful when she wasn't. And I just want to bring just for a moment your attention to the fact that God, when God rewrites our history, he doesn't see our past. And I feel like one of the biggest problems that we have as Christians is actually seeing ourselves the way that the father does is that it's hard to see ourselves as new creations when we're convinced that He still sees the things that we used to do. Is that when I, when I don't feel like a new creation, or when I'm reminded of the things that I used to do, right? Last week, last year, 10 years ago, when those things come back to my mind, and then... What can happen is that I actually begin to feel like I'm no longer a new creation. But it all stems from my thinking. Because my thinking triggers an emotion. 
And when my emotion is triggered, then, uh, then what happens is it becomes a catalyst to what I allow it to do, is it becomes a catalyst to what I believe about myself. Is that I believe because I thought, and then I felt, and then the emotion was triggered, and then I'm convinced that I'm not new because of the way that I feel. Right? But the way that I think causes the way that I feel. They're tied together. And when I change the way that I think, it actually reroutes my emotions. Because you know emotions aren't bad. Emotions aren't, aren't part of the curse. They're part of the creation. Because God's got them. And he put them in his creation so that we would be created like him. And so our emotions are always an indicator of what we believe, but they're not to control us. They're actually just to point us to a greater reality. And so let me read to you out of, if you would, put your fingers in, in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to go to, to, verse, to verse 11 and read 11 through 15. I'm going to read it. I, I'm, yeah, I'll read it out of the New King James. I, knew, I thought you were waiting. Thank you. You're so patient. <laughs> I was getting ready to surprise you with the Passion Translation. but I... You and I being a new creation has nothing to do with the way that we feel. It has everything to do with the truth of what Jesus says about us. And that truth becomes my reality when I actually come into agreement with it. And it becomes my belief system. Because everything that I believe causes me to see things around me the way that I think. My, my thoughts become beliefs which cause my worldview. Right? You, look at the children of Israel. They go in, they've got 12 spies. They go into the promised land that God has. They call it the promised land because God promised it. I know that's deep. We went into the promised land and 12 of them go in. And 10 of them came back with a report that opposes two of them. I love what Justin Allen said when he was here. He said, does anybody remember the name of the 10 spies? Because nobody cares about somebody that gives a bad report. Nobody wants to remember that. Because you remember Joshua and Caleb, right? And so 10 guys, go, 10 guys come back with a... They all saw the same thing. They didn't go in different places. They were all together. I want to show you how we can be in the same place, in the same situation, two people or 12 people in this instance, and we can come, come to different conclusions because of what we believe causes us to see things differently. And so 10 guys come back with a bad report, and they say, you know, the, the land, it is flowing with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. It's great, but there are giants in the land. It, and they say this in verse 33. They say, then there we saw giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our sight, so we were in theirs. Their perspective on themselves projected what conclusion that they came to when they saw giants in the land. 
Did you know that you can project somebody that feels like, oh, nobody sees me. I'm not seen by anybody. Nobody ever notices me. You know that can actually begin to happen everywhere that you go. Because it becomes your belief system, and then whatever your belief system is, is what you see everywhere that you go. Then you notice only the people that don't notice you. Your attention, right? Whatever we focus on, it's, it's a biblical principle of magnification. Whatever I focus on gets bigger. Happens with worry or faith. Love, hate, depression, joy. Peace, whatever it is, whatever I'm, I meditate most on will impact me the most. And so these 10 guys see themselves like they're defeated. Then two guys, Joshua and Caleb, come and say, we can take this thing. <laughs> what it appears like to me, though we don't see it said in Scripture, is that they believe the promise of God. And they allowed the promise of God, they had meditated on they meditated on the promise of God clearly enough that it had transformed their minds so that what they saw was different than what the other ten guys saw. Two sets of people, same situation, one perspective is what God promised, the other perspective is defeat. Victory and defeat. And I would propose to you today that we see every situation with that mindset, victory or, or defeat. And it all stems from the way that we think. It all stems from the belief systems that we've been raised up in, the world's culture that we were acutely aware of, uh, who raised us. You could say it's nurture versus nature. I believe it. it's all of that because it all gives us a certain set of beliefs then causes us to see the world around us, therefore see every situation through that particular set of beliefs. And so I'm looking through, oftentimes I'm looking through the experiences that I have had in life that have told me either truth or they've lied to me. You can encounter a situation, the same situation two times in a row, and if you experience disappointment in the first one, the next time you go into that situation it's possible for you to lean more towards defeat than towards victory. Does that make sense? Because experience, when meditated on, becomes my belief system. Though it's not supposed to, it happens to all of us. And so there's no condemnation in it. <laughs> the only guys that got condemned out of the 12 spies were the two because they wanted to stone them. And not the way some of you have been stoned, but that they wanted to kill these two guys because they came back with a hope-filled report. Because you know what happens is that hope-filled people, there's so much conflict that happens on the inside of somebody that doesn't have hope in a situation that it agitates you to the point of anger. Because it's grinding up against that belief system that is not, that is not a part of the mind of Christ. Because he said we already, in 2 Corinthians 2, he said we already have the mind of Christ. And so why don't I think with it? Well, I'm thinking more with it than I used to, which is what I celebrate. I'm thinking more with it than I used to, so I celebrate where I've grown and not focus on the things where I'm not growing, 
but I do pay attention to where my beliefs aren't accurate. Because when I pay attention, then I can actually grow in those places. Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. This is, this is one of, I, I love, I just love the Bible. It's so good. When, when, you, when God's transforming us, as he is all of us, you just begin to see it with, with new eyes. You can read it over and over and over again, and you just begin to see it. Have you ever thought, I've read that passage so many times, probably don't need to read it again, and then you just skim over it. It's a dangerous place to be. I've been there before. My encouragement would be don't do it. <laughs> read it for quality, not quantity. It's just practical Bible studying. Quality, not quantity. God's not impressed when you read tons of Bible in one day. If you've read, if you've read 10 chapters today, God, hope you're proud. He, he, he's not up there with a, a, a scorecard seeing how many things we've done right that day. Right? That scorecard, it says, every line, it says Jesus on it. Done. When I am focused on my behavior more than I am focused on grace, it's an ultimate indicator that I am works-based. I have a work-based mentality that I'm still actually under law. Oh, it's true. Come on. I know. I've, it's it's going to get crunchy in here, but it's gonna, we're going to make it through, and Jesus is going to bring breakthrough today. Because I'm, I promise I'm going to read Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 15 here in just a moment. But I feel like it's just important to press in on this just a little bit more because of what I can feel in, in my own life, not just in yours, but anytime my, my attention comes to what my behavior was over what Jesus paid, it is evidence that the law is still what I'm living by. Because... It, <laughs> When I, have, I am fully convinced that it was by grace, through faith alone, there's no way for me to go back to the works of the law. Then I realize that my behavior, if you've got bad behavior, fix it. You have the power to do so. If you are acting, let me be nice, if you are acting immature in your Christianity... If you've made dumb decisions recently, either by not controlling your mouth or by doing something that just is outside of your new nature, just don't do it again. All right? There's no condemnation in it. It's you have the power to control your mouth and your body. You are a powerful person. We're like, well, they just, they just. They just made me, I can't, every time they do that, it just, it makes me so mad. And then I have to, oh, I just got to tell them off. 
Do you know what happens there? All joking aside, do you know what happens there? Is that you have just allowed another human being that actually has no power over you to manipulate your emotions. You've become a victim to someone else's bad day or the way that they believe or their rant in a moment. And then you've become a victim to that person's words and you've allowed them to control you. Because nobody can make you do anything. Because you and I aren't victims of other people's beliefs, behavior, the way that they treat me. This is where we're going. I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm a whole lot closer than I used to be. All right? So if you have bad behavior, spend more time with the one who doesn't. His name's Jesus. He lived a sinless life on earth. By the power of the Holy Spirit, not because he walked as God. He set an example for us that when we are, when we've come into right relationship with the Father, which takes what? Hebrews or uh, Romans ten nine. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. That made you in right relationship with the Father. Galatians 3.26 For all, We're all sons and daughters through faith in Christ Jesus. You believed in Him. Now you're in right relationship. That's all it took. Faith. You know why? Because that's all anything in the kingdom takes is faith. Isn't it wonderful? I can't do anything for it and I don't have to. I love it. It's, it's, it's the most, it's, that's why we call it a beautiful gospel, glorious gospel. It's, it's almost too good to be true, right? The, the scandal of grace is that I did nothing and he gave me everything. I came to him empty-handed and he poured out more than I can contain. That's the gospel. I don't have to do anything to earn his love. When my mind goes to my behavior, what that's linked to is a thought that says, I still need to earn what Jesus paid for. Because that's the way that we were ultimately designed before the cross. The fall of man, Adam and Eve, the fall brought a curse into the world that actually instituted the law. Do you know the law actually, what it did was it reinforced the curse and empowered the devil. I know it says that it's our tutor that led us to Christ, but it empowered the accuser. And it's still empowering him today. The cross didn't didn't nullify the law for people who still believe they need it. Remember the two different perspectives? I know, that, I know because the Bible tells me that the cross nullified the law for me. Now the law is written in my heart. My new nature is actually to, to live holy. I'm already holy. I don't have to do anything for it. I don't have to fast 10% of the year. I don't have to pray so many hours a day. Before your head explodes, some of you just bear with me. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't have to spend so much time with Jesus. I don't have to. There's, there's not a list. There's not a list of requirements that I have to qualify to be holy. 
Peter said, be holy for he is holy. What God say at the beginning? He created things and he says, let it be. I believe that when he says be holy, that it was actually he's telling us what we are. You were created to be holy. You say, well, I was created through the fall of man. Well, if you believe that, that's how you'll live. Whatever I believe will be true for me. What do I want to be my truth? You say, well, the, the grace, it's just, if, if you get into grace too much, then it gets scary, and then people will, people will begin doing whatever they want. Is that the same message that created 11 world changers created a Judas, right? And if we're scared to create a Judas, then we won't create world changers. Come on. And some people will take the message. And you know what they'll do with it? They'll live any way they want to. Not my problem. If I go around worrying about how somebody's going to interpret the truth that I speak to them and they live and take this message outside of intimacy, and you know, they wanted to live however they wanted to live anyway. They were just, have you ever been, have you ever gotten or given advice to somebody or been, been the person that got advice from 10 different people and you were just waiting for the person that would tell you what you wanted to hear? The other people told you truth and then the, you're like, hold on, let me, I need, I think there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Let me try another. <laughs> oh, not you. You're not holy enough. Let me try. Maybe I should get the pastor. <clears throat> You, you've gotten advice from me before. I'm going to tell you the truth because I love you, right? Because I want you to tell me the truth. Those people that want to live that way are going to find a way to do it. Why should I worry about the small percentage of people? I'm going to trust that God will bring them back in. There are seeds that have been planted. They, 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 I believe they're saved, right? Just because they're living like they're not doesn't mean they're not. I trust God's, Holy Spirit's a big boy. I don't need to do his job, right? I just need to stay out of his way and partner with him in truth. And so the, the, the small percentage of people that will take that message and become the Judas, I'm not concerned about. What I'm focused on is the world changers because when we get this message, I quit focusing on me because when I'm living under the law, all I'm doing is being selfish because all I'm, I'm self-absorbed. I'm constantly focused on me. You know, all sinfulness is, is rooted in selfishness. It's all about me. And so in Colossians chapter 2, it says this in verse 11. It says, in him, talking about Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Praise the Lord. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. The Bible paints a picture, doesn't it? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Not the... I really want to read more verses, but let's read that one one more time. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by God, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. When I came into Christ, there was a circumcision that took place that cut off the old man or my sin nature. It no longer exists. You say, well, how do I continue to sin? It's because you've chosen to. Yeah. 
Because my mind still believes that I can't. And therefore the desires that are war, waging war against the, the new nature that I have, those, those things have to be renewed. Right? Because if I think a certain way, I will behave according to the way that I think. So if there's still sin, there needs to be mind renewal. So often, I am trying to... I love what Winnie B Banov says in that one, that one uh, mixed down. I don't know. It's, I forget what it's called. Uh, but she says, why are we creating programs that try to fix the old man? When the old man's dead. So why am I trying to dress up the person that's dead? Come on. Dead men tell no tales. You seen the movie? Dead men don't sin either. Or dead women. And so what I, I found that I need to be convinced of is my new nature and all of the things that come with my new nature. Otherwise, I'm just striving to accomplish something that's a never-ending battle. It puts me back under the scrutiny of the law that God never, ever, ever, if God would have had it His way, He never would have instituted law. They asked for it, and they got it. And God brought good out of it. Because he's just that good. Come on. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through, the, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All trespasses. All. It's neat. You looked up that word. Nikki said she likes to look up. She likes to do word studies. I do too. I looked up all, and it means, it means all. Every time I've looked it up, I've looked it up in, in Hebrew. I've looked it up in Greek, uh, Aramaic. I've looked it up in dictionaries. I've looked, you know, looked it up, and it means the same thing. It would be good for us to focus on the fact that when God forgives, God forgets. When I realize that the sin that was once in my life is now completely abolished, like it is gone. When I've asked, and I've what we call a small part of repentance, when I ask for forgiveness, I receive what Jesus says has freely given to us all. God forgets those things that I did. And then my responsibility is to change my mind with the reality of what he says, that he forgets those things. This truth, right? I know this seems so simple. Yet it's so easy to struggle with on this on a day-to-day -day basis. Because how many of you would be willing to admit when you do something that you know is outside of your nature that you immediately feel guilty and, you, and, who, and how many of you are willing to say that you in that moment are, are wanting to, I used to do this, is that when I did something that I would deem sin for me, sometimes when I did something that would be deemed sin for anybody, <laughs> is that I immediately, my mind went to, what, I, what can I do? I better go pray, I need to go pray for somebody, I need to go get somebody healed, I need to lead somebody to Jesus, give somebody a prophetic word. I just want to see if it even still works. Maybe God took it away from me. I don't know if it's still there. Are you still with me? All right. 
Come on, you, go, you ever went through that battle of like, am I still saved? I don't know. What the, Holy Spirit, are you still there? Please don't take your Holy Spirit. We begin to go through all these old covenant things. Go through our mind. We like, start begging God, please, no. And, and I'm, I feel like there's compassion that wells up in his heart in those moments. And he's like, I just want you to believe the truth. I just want you to believe the gospel. You don't have to do any of this. You don't have to beg me for anything. I just want to point you to who you already are. Ooh, okay. Having made us alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's talking about the law. It's contrary to who we were created to be because we weren't created to live by a law that showed me what I needed to do. We were created to live out of relationship with a father who loves me where I naturally know what to do. (laughs) Come on. It's in us. The the law is written on our hearts. Jesus came with two. Love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love is a fulfillment. In Romans 13, 8, it says, Oh, no one anything except for to love, because love is a fulfillment of the law. I fulfill the whole law in love. And when I realize that, it points me to my new nature, my new nature, rooted, grounded, built up completely in love. It all stems from love. Read 1 Corinthians 13. I can do lots of things. I can give people stuff. I could die as a martyr. I could give all my, my money away. I could heal the sick, raise the dead, prophesy, transportation to different countries and do crazy things in the, in the, in the spirit realm. And if I don't have love, all of it means nothing. Isn't that a sobering truth? Aren't you glad that our new nature is actually love in that when I live inside my new nature, I don't ever have to worry about living outside of love because then I begin to be compelled by 2 Corinthians 5. Paul said we are compelled by love. In the NASB, it says controlled by love. We're controlled by love. If your thought immediately goes to, I don't want nobody controlling me, then you don't know who the father is yet. Get to know him because you'd want love to control you. Come on, because he's not going to do anything bad to you. It's not like the control that we've experienced before, where people lorded over us, people made us do things that we didn't want to do. He's actually leading us by his spirit to do the things that he had planned for us before the foundation of the world. Oh my gosh, he's so good. (laughs) Which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The curse and everything that was a part of it, if you look at Galatians 3.13, was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Jesus became a curse for us. The law was the one that empowered the curse. It made it, I know the God that he, he brought our attention to the fact that we needed Jesus through the law. But it was contrary to everything that we were created to be. That's why it was impossible for people to keep. I think we need, you need law to keep people in line. Right? 
And for people that aren't saved, you're absolutely right. That's why we have laws. All right? They're important. They set a standard. And a lot of them are instituted because somebody did that and somebody else figured out that wasn't a very good way to live. Right? That's why the warning labels are on a lot of the things you buy. Right? You ever bought fishing hooks and you're like, it says, do not swallow these. You know why it's on there? Because somebody swallowed that fishing hook before. Somebody thought that was a good idea. Or somebody was dared. I've, I've, done, I've done a lot of fishing. You could double dog. You do any kind of dare you want to me. I'm not eating that hook. Now, I might swallow a worm. Not anymore. <laughs> he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15. I promise we're almost done. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Let me hopefully tie this together for you. When the children of Israel crossed over into the promised land, and they had the priests stand with the Ark of the Covenant, they had them stand in the Jordan, right? He didn't just have them stand in the Jordan, he actually had them stand during the time that the Jordan's banks overflowed with water. It's like God could just show you that he can do anything, anywhere, anytime. He says, have the priest carry the Ark of the Covenant, get one from each tribe, have them stand. When they step in the Jordan, have them wait. Have them wait until the water completely stops and the water will pile up. Pile up to where? All the way back to Adam is what it says. I know it's a city, but I believe it's saying something to us. He said the water will pile up all the way back to Adam. Jesus is the one that stepped in our Jordan from the land of the curse to the promised land. He figuratively stood in that river and he became everything that the ark of the covenant represented he became the the miracle worker the Aaron's bu uh, rod that budded he became our our provider not just of material things but our provider for wholeness in spirit soul and body and, and he he became right he became our our healer the pot of manna shows the provision and, the, and then what else was in it the stone tablets he was saying something through him figuratively standing in the midst of our Jordan River so that we could cross over into the place that we were always designed to be. It was a type and shadow when the children of Israel were crossing over into their promised land of what Jesus would one day do for us, but he would become our high priest. We would no longer need one of the priests, but he would actually become the ones that were standing in the river for us. He would become our advocate. He would become the one that atoned for everything that we'd ever did wrong and everything that we were supposed to be. He disarmed principalities and powers at the cross by nailing the handwriting of requirements to the cross with himself. That's how he disarmed the principalities and powers at the cross because the law empowered the, empowered the enemy to become an accuser that you have not 
done this. You have not fulfilled this today within the law. And rightfully so when they lived under law. But now as sons and daughters, when the accuser of the brethren comes, we can tell him that Jesus accomplished all of those things at the cross. And anything that you tell me, tell me and try to point to in my life that I haven't done or that I have done, all I have to do is mention the name of Jesus. I hear the what? The chains falling. I'll tell you that they aren't chains that are on the outside of our body. They're chains that are in our minds. God wants to set us free from the belief systems that we've carried for far too long. And do I believe that that can supernaturally happen in a moment? Absolutely. It just hasn't happened to me that way. I believe that it starts a process when we see what Romans 12, 2 says, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we find out that it has nothing to do with what I accomplish externally any longer because Jesus paid for it. And my responsibility becomes me focusing on the truth of what he already says about me so that I, my actions will change. You're already in the promised land. Nobody can take you out of it. But who wants to enjoy the benefits of it while we're in it here before we go to heaven? Right? Because the benefits package started the moment that you and I said yes to Jesus. It doesn't start the other side of heaven. Not all the good stuff starts when we leave the planet. <laughs> it's happening now. But it takes this one thing. It's me realizing what's already been paid for me so that I no longer look at my behavior. Scary to you or not, I no longer focus on my behavior. I focus on the intimacy with the one who paid for me not to have to focus on my behavior. And I focus on the truth of what he already says I am. Because you and I as sons and daughters are already everything that we'll ever need to be. And the more that we walk in this, the more that we find out, it's a whole lot about discovery of what I already have on the inside of me and what I already have available to me. That's why I said, it's not through how much I do something. When I said, it's not about how much I fast or how much I read or how much I pray, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't fast. I'm not saying don't read. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm saying do those things with the right perspective. Because then I'm not trying to earn God's graces by how long I fast or how much I read or how long I pray. God, I hope you're pleased with me. hope I did enough for you today. That's just not the truth. He's not looking at us like that. He already judged us righteous through Jesus' sacrifice. Done deal. Forever. Gavel banged. Done. It's beautiful, isn't it? I don't have to, I don't have to ever go back there again. But if my mind still goes back there, then what I need to do is renew it with truth instead of going into fix up the old person, fix up, fix up that dead, dress up that dead person mode, right? I'm like, what can I do to make myself better? I'm, I am telling you this. I, I would stake there are not very many revelations outside of the cross that I would go up on a hill and die for, so to speak. This one on that mind renewal will change your behavior, I would. I'm convinced of it. That the more I believe like Jesus, the more I'll look like him. 
You know that song they were singing? I just can't help it. The song that they were singing that Jesus, you know, every, every valley, every mountaintop, every alley, every, what was the other? Around every corner, in every alley. Guess who's a representation of Jesus in those alleyways and around those corners and in those valleys and on those mountaintops? Us. And when I believe like him, I look like him because I'm already inside a representation of our risen king. So if you would stand with me, I hope this helped you today. It's helping me. If I were to title this message, and I'll I'll be sending a, a title to someone later of it. I'd title it Giants in My Promised Land. Giants in My Promised Land. But like the children of Israel, they had giants that were on the outside, right? Real giants that they had to take possession of the land, right? The giants that are in our promised land are in our thinking. Remember, he disarmed principalities and powers of the cross. They have no authority over us any longer. If I'm always focused on blaming the devil, then I'll become a victim of whatever he's doing that day or I think he's doing. Or You're not a victim of the enemy. He has, he, I, I realize there's real warfare that takes place, but I believe that the greater portion of warfare takes place between our ears. Because whatever I believe will be my reality. I believe I live in the stronghold and I'm more protected than anybody else. That's going to be my reality. If I believe that the enemy's around every corner and he's giving me flat tires and causing the light to be red when I'm late, then that's going to be my reality. What will I choose? I know what I'm choosing because I've, choo- I've, I've chosen the other before, and that was no fun. Real bummer to live that way. <laughs> I promise, if you live that way, you know it. You don't have to just take my word for it. But the giants in our promised land are, are, are going down. They are. Because our beliefs, your beliefs, are, are, are getting better on a daily basis. God is bringing our attention to this revival of mind renewal. And it is going to, in a greater way than it already is, change our cities and change our nations. So Owen said, money won't fix problems. I know money fixes some problems, but if you give somebody that has a poverty mindset a bunch of money, guess what? Still going to have a poverty mindset. The money doesn't make us rich. Jesus does. But it's not just Jesus alone that can make me think like him. It's me engaging in this process of mind renewal, realizing what I believe that isn't true. And destroying those giants. Because in all honesty, the giants, that David and Goliath story, the only thing it's really appropriate to to tell of that story in the new covenant is the one where Goliath is already on the ground and David has his head in his hand. (laughs) That's that's new covenant. (laughs) Come on. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've already disarmed principalities and powers. We thank you that you nailed that handwriting of requirements of the law 
to the cross with your son and that through the resurrection of Jesus that we have become new creations. I thank you right now for every person that's in the room, every person that's watching, for engaging in this mind renewal process. I thank you that there are giants in our thinking that are coming down. Even right now, I thank you that there were giants that were coming down as we were, as I was talking. I thank you that we are realizing the reality of our freedom in you. That we're not pinned under some law anymore, but grace is actually empowering us to be everything that you've created us to be. I pray you help us to believe that, to believe all of the things you've already made available to us. The reality of the gospel, this beautiful, beautiful gospel. Would you help us to, to know it, to live it? Would you help us to, yeah, would you do this? Would you put the spotlight on the things that we believe that aren't true? <laughs> My mercy's high, so I'll say, God, would you do it just one lie at a time? <laughs> would you do it just one lie at a time? And we know the truth's already waiting. And so we thank you for us engaging in this process through intimacy. That you're helping us more every day to become the sons and daughters who are known for love that you created us to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you that I'm in a room full of people who are getting this. Thank you that we are getting this with the rest of our brothers and sisters throughout the world, that you're doing this all over the planet. Right now in this moment, if there's a, a lie that we believe, would you, would you convict us? Would you show us what it is? Just show us what it is. It's not a part of our new nature. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for removing that and showing us what the truth is that replaces that. Thank you. Thank you for every one of us continuing to engage in this process until the mind of Christ that we have is our every moment, every second reality. And would you help us celebrate our progress so that we don't go back into that blame, shame, condemnation thing that we've been in before because we don't, you didn't make us to be that way. Help us to celebrate the places that we've grown. Help us to point it out in one another. Help us to encourage each other as family. Cheer each other on. Recognize those places of growth so that we can be an encouragement one to another. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Prayer team, would you all please come up? Let me say this before you go. I know some of you got to take off, and the rest of you that need prayer, I want you to come forward. But I want to make this very clear. If, if, there's, if there's condemnation or shame that's in your life because you're like, you know what, I'm, 
I know I'm not living this way, and, and you feel the weight of that thing, don't leave here feeling like that. It would be easy to think, even though it wouldn't be accurate, that the rest of us don't really deal with that anymore. That's just not true. <laughs> we all are dealing with it at some level, maybe not the condemnation, maybe not the shame, but not living out of the reality of what Jesus paid for. None of us are there yet. We're all in this together. This is a joint, a joint op, joint operation. We need one another. So I don't want you to leave the building feeling that way. Anybody that's online that feels that way, I just release peace upon you right now to destroy that stuff in Jesus' name. But come up and get somebody to pray with you. And just be, we've, we've learned that vulnerability attracts heaven. It really does. Being vulnerable with one another, as scary as it can be, I can guarantee you this. You come up and tell one of these people up here, the way you're feeling, it's not going to go any further than them. All right? There, you, can trust, you can trust us to, to tell us those things because we're either there or been there. <laughs> so, yeah, just, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for lifting that stuff off. You guys are in a safe place. You're in a safe place where you can share that stuff. And you're around people that have either been there or are currently still there in some form or fashion. So if you need prayer for anything, anything else, healing, uh, any level, there's no prayer too small, too big. We want you to, to come up and get prayer and uh, hope that you guys are, are getting stuff out of this. I know that I am. We love being a part of your lives. Oh, bless you all. Have an amazing day. Thanks for listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Join us each week for another message and listen to past messages by visiting us online at revivetheworld.us.